Good morning, Church. The Bible reading today is taken from Titus chapter 2, verse 1 to 15, and it can be found in your Pew Bible on page 1700. Titus chapter 2. You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderous or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be the subject of their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled, in everything, set an example, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These, then, are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. Well, good morning. It's uh, lovely to be here with my church family. Are you attractive? Are you attractive? Are you an attractive sort of person? Uh, let me begin by telling you about my friend. Uh, we'll call him Fred. Uh, Fred didn't grow up in a Christian household. Uh, his first exposure to religion was when he was sent off to boarding school. And there it was just really a, a bunch of mumbo-jumbo to him. Finished his uni, lands a job, and he'd been working for a couple of years when one of his work colleagues asked, would you be interested in reading the Bible with me? And Fred says that as he met Jesus in the pages of Scripture, it made a whole lot of sense of his work colleague. So he held his work colleague in really high regard. His, his work colleague treated people in the office with respect and kindness in his business dealings, he was always honest and full of integrity. And as he's reading about the character of Jesus, he's seeing it reflected, embodied in his work colleague. Are you attractive? See, when belief and behaviour come together, that is a beautiful thing, isn't it? It's compelling for people. It's attractive. 
As Jeff said, today is Bible College Sunday. So what has being attractive got to do with Bible College? What's being attractive got to do with Bible College? That's what we want to explore. Uh, There's an outline there in your leaflet, if that helps you follow along. Uh, And if you could have Titus chapter 2 open on page 1700, uh, that'll make a whole lot more sense of what I'm going to say. Let me pray and ask that God would speak to us. Heavenly Father, uh, we're just so thankful that you're a speaking God, that you don't leave us in the dark. So please now, uh, come and by your Spirit, who caused this word to be written, come and speak to us, that we might know your voice speaking into our lives. Amen. So where does attractiveness come from? What's behind it? What drives being attractive? In the corner of our backyard is an apricot tree. Uh, And when I checked on it yesterday, it looks like we're on track to be able to get a good crop around about Christmas, a lovely crop of golden apricots, providing we get to them first and not the birds. Now, that's what good fruit trees do, don't they? A good, healthy fruit tree produces big, sweet, delicious fruit that you just want to sink your teeth into. And it's that sense of health that lies behind being attractive. Have a look with me, please, at Titus chapter 2, verse 1. Look how Titus opens up. You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. The idea of sound doctrine there is it is healthy doctrine. It is health-producing doctrine. Like a good fruit tree that is healthy in and of itself and produces good fruit, so too healthy doctrine produces spiritual health. And that's what Titus is to teach. Not only is he to teach this healthy, health-producing doctrine, he's to teach what is in accord with it, what is in keeping with it, what flows from it. That's a good reminder, isn't it, for our Bible study groups when we get together, that we don't just think, what's the meaning of the passage, but we also work out, what are the implications of this? Not just, let's talk theology all night, but what's this going to look like on the ground for us? Healthy doctrine is health-producing doctrine. But what lies at the heart of that? What's central to this sound, healthy, health-producing doctrine? Have a look with me, please, at verses 11 to 14. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. At the heart of this sound, healthy doctrine, health-producing doctrine, at its heart, 
is the grace of God. Now notice there are two important things we're told here about the grace of God. First of all, in verse 11, we're told it's the grace of God that saves people. It's God's undeserved kindness, his mercy towards us that sets us right with God. In and of ourselves, we can't do that. We can't set ourselves right with God. God must take the initiative. It is in his kindness towards his enemies that God rescues us. We heard much more about that a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? When Jeff preached from that wonderful passage in Ephesians 2. That when we were still dead in our sin, God made us alive in Christ. God shows us his mercy, his grace. It is his grace that saves us, that sets us right with him. But that's not all God's grace does. Do you remember what it was like learning to drive? You know, you've got your L plates and you're stuck on the car and you grip the steering wheel... Who was it who taught you to drive? Hopefully, best case scenario, they were patient and kind so that when you were bunny hopping yet again, they'd say, okay, it's all right, we'll have another go. When you stalled it on North Terrace at five o'clock on a Friday afternoon, they were calm See, the grace of God not only saves us, the grace of God is our driving instructor. The grace of God trains us, shows us how to live. Do you see there in verse 12? It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and yes to living an upright godly life. The grace that saved us is the same grace that grows us. It's not that we begin with grace and then we leave that behind and somehow we stumble along under our own efforts. It's not like we begin with grace and then just follow the rules. No, the grace that saves us is the same grace that grows us. And I want to highlight just three quick things about how God's grace grows us. First of all, It grows us, it trains us in who God is. So verse 14, Jesus gave himself for us. Here's the character of God. God who gives himself, whose love is sacrificial for the benefit of others. That is the character of God. The grace of God trains us in who we are. So again, verse 14 Knowing this grace, he has made us a people that are his very own. Knowing God's grace, God adopts us into his family. We become his children. This is our identity. And the grace of God trains us as to where life is headed. So verse 13, we're told that one day Jesus is coming back and he will come in all his glory. That's where life's headed to the glory of Jesus. It's not like life's just meandering, aimless, no purpose. No, no. Life is headed somewhere and that is to the glory of Jesus. The grace of God trains us to understand who God is, his character. It trains us to understand who we are, our identity. 
It trains us to understand there is meaning and purpose in life and that is to the glory of Jesus. Sound, healthy doctrine, health-producing doctrine has at its heart the grace of God. The grace of God that saves us is the same grace that grows us. Now, what's the impact of that? What's the impact of the grace of God? Well, first of all, it results in changed lives. So verses 3 to 10 here in chapter 2 are all about people, men and women, old and young, and it's all about how God's grace changes their lives. They are transformed people. Let me give you a couple of examples. So in verse 3, we have people who there's clearly a problem with drink, with the booze. They are addicted to much wine. Now, how does the grace of God change them? Because these are the people who have turned up to the champagne breakfast for Melbourne Cup Day and they've just kept drinking for the rest of the day. So how does the grace of God change them? Well, when it says they're addicted, it's literally they're enslaved to the drink. But in verse 14, Jesus redeems us from all wickedness. The language of redeeming is the language from the marketplace in the ancient world where people were bought and sold. And Jesus has redeemed us. He has ransomed us. He has paid for our release out of slavery, even slavery to the drink. The grace of God transforms people. Or what about in verse 10, those who are struggling with their stealing? How does the grace of God help them? Well, think again about what have we seen about the character of God? Jesus gives himself for us. The character of God is to self-sacrificially give for the benefit of others. God is a giver, not a taker. So if you're one of God's children, reflect the character of God and not steal. The grace of God transforms people. It results in changed lives. But not only does the grace of God change each of us individually, the grace of God has impact on a watching world. Three times we're told in this chapter that God's grace in changing people leads to the watching world having, there is impact on them. So, uh, second half of verse 5, so that no one will malign the word of God. Second half of verse 8, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Second half of verse 10, so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Saviour attractive. See, when God's grace gets hold of people, when belief and behaviour come together, that is attractive. And that has impact on a watching world. And a church full of attractive people 
is an attractive church, a healthy, attractive church that has impact on a watching world around it. That is the biblical pattern. Sound, healthy teaching, health-producing teaching has at its heart the grace of God. That grace of God saves people and it grows people. And the impact of that is attractive, healthy churches having impact on the world around them. Now, there's somebody looming in this passage that we haven't really talked about yet. And that's Titus. After all, the letter is written to Titus. So what's Titus doing? What's his role in the whole scheme of things? Well, we're told at the beginning of the letter uh, that the Apostle Paul has sent Titus to the island of Crete as his representative. But Titus is not the pastor. He's not the leader of the congregation. And yet, clearly, Titus has a teaching role. Uh, This chapter is sandwiched. Verse 1, verse 15, Titus is commanded to teach. He's to teach this healthy, sound doctrine. Not only is Titus to teach, but he's also to model this sound, healthy doctrine in his own life. So verses 7 and 8, he's to set an example for other people. They are to see that this healthy, health-producing doctrine is producing spiritual health in Titus's own life. He's to teach, he's to model it, and he's to do it with great skill. Did you notice in verses 3 and 4 that as Titus teaches other people, he's doing it with such skill that they in turn can replicate it, can reproduce it with others. You think about trying to teach anybody something. Unless you understand it in such a way that they can reproduce it, that's when you know that you've really understood it. And that's what Titus is doing. He's he's teaching, he's modelling and he's doing it with enormous skill. And what's the result of that? Well, in chapter 1, we're told of the leaders of the congregations. They too hold to this sound, healthy, health-producing doctrine. They too model godly lives. They too lead with skill. What Titus is teaching and modelling is reproduced in the leaders of churches. And that is for the health of the congregations, that there would be healthy, attractive churches. I think in Titus, we have the New Testament model of the closest thing we can find to what we do at Bible College. What's the connection between being attractive and Bible College? It's partnership. Churches raising up healthy leadership because that's what attractive, healthy churches do. That's where leadership comes from. And healthy, attractive churches need healthy leadership. And Bible colleges come alongside to help equip and train so churches would be healthy, led with healthy leadership. Bible college always is there to serve church it's partnership so can I say thank you 
thank you to our church family of Trinity Church Adelaide for your partnership. Trinity Church Adelaide has always had a long history of partnering so that people are raised up and equipped and deployed. You think, for example, of Dave and Tab or as they uh, head back to Asia next year or Mike and Karen Rowe as they head back to Africa. Raised up by this congregation, further equipped at Bible College and deployed to the world. Or think about Ada. I think of Ada raised up by this church, comes to college, further equipped, now serving as an associate pastor in one of the Trinity Church plants. Well, what about Matt and Ali? Uh, Matt and Ali continuing to serve God in their professions. They do a year each at college and now they're part of one of the church plants where they resource and equip and train small groups. What a, what a great thing to do. There has always been this sense of partnership, local church, raising people up, further equipped and deployed. So as I finish, I, I want to offer you two opportunities. First opportunity is this. Will you pray that God would continue to raise up leaders for his church in 2050? Will you, will you pray that God will raise up leaders for his church in 2050? I probably won't be around in 2050, but somebody who's five years old now in 2050 will be in their early 30s. They will be leading God's church. So even now, even now, would we ask God to put the finger of his spirit on people and be raising them up? Or what about, wind the clock forward, what about 2030? That's just over six years away. Oh Lord, please, would you so convict your people that they'd offer themselves in service of you for the health of your church? Will you join me with me in praying that? Second opportunity. Should you consider doing some study? Maybe you're at that point in life where you think, I'm just going to put my career on pause. I'm going to take a gap year on life. And why not think of some study? Or maybe you're thinking... I'm pretty close to starting retirement. Maybe I should set up the rest of my retirement by doing a year's worth of study. I was doing some maths the other day. Think about it like this. If you, you know, we, we come here Sunday by Sunday, we're blessed to sit under God's word. It's transformative to do that. And if your average Jeff Lynn sermon on a Sunday is about 30 minutes, then a year at Bible college is like having 40 years worth of Sundays. 
Imagine that, having access to the entire back catalogue of Jeff's preaching. You'd know how Wendy feels, wouldn't you? But wouldn't that be transformative for you? To, to soak in God's word at that sort of depth, to have 40 years worth of Sundays under your belt. Imagine the good it would do to you. And imagine the blessing that you could be to others. Imagine the blessing you could be in your small group. Or as you lead one of the ministries here at church. Imagine the benefit other people would get because you've had the opportunity to soak in God's word to that sort of depth. My brothers and sisters, I'm passionate about what we do at Bible College because I'm passionate that Jesus is growing his church locally and globally. Sound, healthy doctrine, health-producing doctrine has at its heart the grace of God. The grace of God that grows us is the same grace that has saved us. My brothers and sisters, when God gets hold of people by his grace, that has impact. It is attractive. It results in healthy, attractive churches that have impact on the world around them. College and church partner together to raise up, to train and equip leaders to deploy them for the health of God's church. Won't you join me as we partner together? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are at work in your world. Jesus is building his church. And we thank you that you use frail and fragile people like us as part of your great plans. And so we pray that you would continue to raise up leaders at every level for the building of your church and the honour of your son. Amen.